Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that we have this ability, this privilege to gather as your people. May you use the word this morning to equip the saints in Christ. And may people come to know Jesus as Lord. Jesus who is strong and kind. So may you bless our time together this morning. All for your glory and for our good. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 9. Matthew 18, verses 1 to 9. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. This is God's word. So, In this this passage this morning, we see that those who desire to follow Jesus, those who desire to follow Jesus, will humble themselves like children. But we also see that Jesus protects His children. Humility is the consistent posture for the Christian. So the Christian is to model the child in humility. We are to have a childlike faith. This does not mean that we do not grow onto maturity but as we grow into maturity, we stay humble. We stay humble. Christians are to continue to be inquisitive like children. We ask questions. We grow. We have much to learn. And so an arrogant Christian is an oxymoron. But then Jesus also addresses that he will protect his little ones. And his children are not to be led astray. Jesus pronounces judgment on those who harm them and His people care for one another. So Jesus' little ones are protected physically. We are we're to care for God's people to ensure that they are not the targets of predators. But we also care for the little ones, the children of God, by, by the way in which we teach and what we teach. 
So those who serve in the nursery are entrusted by God to care for kids, to teach them, and not to harm. So teaching is a huge responsibility, but protecting kids is a huge responsibility as well. And so we've been walking through this biblical theme over the last few weeks of the church as family and the the church entrusted to care for children. Today in this passage, we see that we should follow Jesus in humility. And we are to protect our kids physically and spiritually. Every single family that is focused on the gospel and that aligns with where we are at doctrinally will, will fit in here at North Hills. There's space for you to join in fellowship, to lock arms, and let's hit the ground running. We understand that we are in a battle with the culture. Worship is a battle for the heart and mind. We can be so easily consumed by what we do that it becomes our worship. And what we worship becomes our little gods. We know family worship, family discipleship, caring for the whole family, the whole community of believers is a battle for the heart and mind. And we don't know everything about family worship. We don't know everything about family ministry. We don't know everything about children. But Jesus does. And we are entrusted to share the gospel with our children and to be in the same posture of learning and growing as children. But ultimately, our prayers are that children trust in Jesus for salvation, not in themselves. And so we want people to look to Jesus. We want people to see Jesus, to taste and see that He is good, that He is sufficient to save sinners. So at North Hills, We desire to preach Christ crucified to young and old. And we pray that those who hear the good news of Jesus trust in Him for salvation. And so as we look through this passage this morning, there there are two points for us. God's children are humble. God's children are humble. In verses 1 to 4. And the second point is God's children are to be protected. Verses 5 to 9. So God's children are humble and then God's children are to be protected. Verses 5 to 9. So to our first point, God's children are humble. Verses 1 to 4. Let's reread those verses. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In the previous chapter of Matthew, Jesus is talking with his disciples and he calls his disciples sons. And then in verse Uh, 23 of chapter 17, Jesus talks about the suffering He will endure. And then to begin this chapter, there's a huge shift in the discussion 
where the, where the disciples talk about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. This is a picture in which Matthew is laying out and his use of the conversation further points out the need of humility, the need for humility. In Matthew 17, chapter 17, Jesus was addressing what he was going to go through. The suffering he was going to endure for their sake, for the sake of his disciples and his people. And then the disciples at the beginning of Matthew chapter 18 are arguing about who among them is going to be the greatest and who will be the closest to Jesus. The disciples did not grasp at all what was going on here. And we can tell because of how verse 1 begins and the way, that, the way the disciples' question is brought forth to Jesus. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is very similar to someone telling an account of a story and then the response is, okay, what's in it for me? But what's even weightier about this, this account is that this is the story of all stories. This is the news beyond all. All news. Jesus would suffer and die for sinners. He would be raised on the third day, according to Matthew 17, 23. And then the disciples are like, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? One commentator says that their question, their question lacks how one becomes great, how one can attain this, or what leads to greatness. They were concerned about their own power and possession by saying, who is the greatest? So they failed to clearly recognize what was going on and taking place. They were thinking that Jesus was going to bring this kingdom again by sword. But Jesus brings His kingdom by sacrifice. He humbled Himself to the point of death. Death on a cross. The King of all took on flesh, died on the cross, so that those who come to Him by faith will be forgiven of their sin. So Jesus says, what is going to take place? And then the disciples ask their question, who is the greatest? But see how Jesus responds. See how Jesus responds here. He doesn't go on to say, you fools. He answers them in tenderness. And he calls a child to come to their midst. And he responds to them and says, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But before Jesus says, become like children. Jesus uses the word turn. The word turn here is showing that one must repent from their sins. They must repent of their behavior and go in the opposite direction. We turn from our sin and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be in consistent pursuit of sin and love your sin if you are following Jesus. If you are not in Christ this morning, turn from your sin. Take heed to Jesus' words. 
Turn from your sin and trust in him. Jesus is saying, you will never enter the kingdom of God if you do not turn and become like little children. And after saying turn, Jesus addresses becoming like children. Jesus calls this child over as an example. Not because of innocence. We are born in sin and desire to pursue sin. But Jesus uses the child as an example because of the child's humility and lack of concern for status. The disciples were so consumed by status and where they would be or where they would sit. But Jesus is saying, let that not be of your concern. Come like children. So when you buy a child a shirt or shoes, they don't care what brand it is. They're happy that they have clothes. When you give your child food, they don't care where it came from. They only care if it tastes good and their bellies are full. What a shame it is for our our kids in America. At a certain age, they become so consumed by social status that they can lose sleep. Some become so consumed by what brand of clothes they have on that they will go without a meal for a day or two to get a certain sneaker. Some are so consumed to get a picture of the moment rather than to be in the moment. Our society has given a certain expectation for our kids to live in a fancy house with a nice car, with a trophy wife or husband, and then work for 30 years to retire. Not all of these things, not all these pursuits can be bad. But Jesus is saying, do not let these pursuits lead you into a manner of pride. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs to the kingdom of heaven. Do not let yourself think that because you've attained certain things in life that you're popular or have a certain number of followers on social media that you are something. We see in verse 4, the one who will humble themselves like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The one who pursues Jesus in humility like a child is the one who is truly wise. In the, in the account of Mark's gospel, Jesus responds in chapter 9, verse 35. It says, He sat down and called the twelve. And He said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So the kingdom of God comes not by power, might, heritage, or prestige, but humility. Our Lord modeled humility to the point of death. Death on the cross. As the book of Hebrews chapter 1 describes Jesus as the one whom created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, meaning that He is of the same essence and substance as the Father, that Jesus was not created. 
It goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 1 that he upholds, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. So the king of the cosmos took on flesh to dwell among us. Why? He died for our sins. He died for our sins. Our sin has separated us from a holy God. We've committed treason against the King of Heaven. And because we have sinned, everyone deserves death. But Jesus, He takes on flesh, lives perfectly, and dies in the place of sinners. But He did not stay in the grave. He rose on the third day. And He's coming again for His little ones. He's coming again for His people. But who are His people? Those who have come to Him and placed their faith in Him alone to save. We recognize that we are unworthy and we do not deserve a seat at the table. We know there's nothing that we can bring. But Jesus shows His people grace. Jesus shows His people grace. Those who follow Jesus are humble, not because we did anything. We are humble because Jesus paid it all. We don't beat our chest and say, look at us. We beat our chest and say, God has shown mercy and grace to a sinner by sending Jesus in our place as our substitute. He has paid our ransom for our sins. And those in Christ, we are not peasants who sit at the city gate hoping by our good efforts we get in. Those in Christ are sons and daughters of the King and we boldly approach the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. So those in Christ, those in Christ come to Him in humility. And we know that those in Jesus are not called to continue in various childlike behaviors. We are called to grow in the gospel. To grow on to maturity. This humility is not approving of a child's behaviors, but it is a humility that is constantly and consistently growing in Christ. R.C. Sproul noted that at one point he preached this text and said said that one does not need a lot of theology and doctrine. But he later said that this is not what Jesus was pointing out when people must become like children. Humility here sees sins in one's own life before they see the sins in others. To come like children is the posture of humility in which the Christian must follow. Proper theology and doctrine then are not opposed to Jesus. Our theology and doctrine can be incorrect and we can be sinful in our pursuit of theology at times if we seek to know a lot about God and not know God. 
But if we define theology as striving to know God and doctrine as what the whole Bible teaches about one subject, then these are not opposed to Jesus. If we are following Jesus, right theology and doctrine are going to be pursuits. But we will, we will pursue them like a child. One who gets a PhD in theology will still come to the king like a child. The one who comes to him in this humble posture can continue to learn and grow and still never arrive. But in many of our churches, what we have seen is a discipleship problem. We are not discipling our kids well as they are to grow on to maturity. There's not a sense of awe and wonder about God and the gospel. People do not need to start hearing sound teaching when one is converted. It begins when you start sharing the gospel with them. And so for us here at North Hills, there is not a one-track discipleship plan. Nor should there be. But we believe that God has entrusted parents and members of this body to care for children. We begin sharing the gospel with our children in our care. And we have various teachers that pour into the lives of our students. We have resources that families can use at home to have conversations. And we desire to walk through the Word together on each and every Lord's Day. And in our classes, and when we meet, we desire, we desire to have sound teaching. And for the home, we have various catechisms, which are a question and answer format to help learn the essentials of the faith. We can give these resources to our families. We can sing with our kids at home. We can sing at home. We pray and do our scripture reading. If our kids have questions, we strive to answer them. And if we don't know how to articulate an answer to uh, one of our children, we seek help within our local church. So as we grow in understanding the gospel, we do not lose this sense of becoming like children because our awe and wonder is deeply rooted in Jesus. So do we, do we still have awe and wonder when we think about Jesus and what He has done for His people? Jesus' people are humble. They are humble because of who they are and who He is. Our second point for this morning is that God's children are to, are to be protected. God's children are to be protected. Let's reread verses 5 to 9. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe 
to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into, into the hell of fire. So in these verses, Jesus begins by saying to welcome children in his name. These are specific children. These are his followers, his people. They have received him and they want to, they desire to be defined as his. So when one welcomes Jesus' little ones, they are welcoming his people. And Jesus' little ones, they are still learning and growing. They need to be nurtured and cared for. Children need to learn their ABCs and they have much to learn from their parents. So there's a care and a nurturing aspect to every little one, to every child. Every child needs nourishment. You cannot give a a baby a steak dinner. And so as kids are trusting in their parents to, to care for and bring them nourishment, we rest in Jesus who brings his little ones nourishment and care. And unlike parents, Jesus knows what every cry from a little one means. Jesus knows when we are hurting. He knows our ups and downs. And so those who believe in him, the little ones, will run to him because they know Jesus will provide for their needs. But then there's this warning here. There's this warning regarding uh, one causing harm. If one causes a little one to fall away into sin. These little ones are not being cared for. They are rejected. If you reject Jesus' disciples, his little ones, you reject and he care for his people whom he died for. So the severity of the warning is those who are seeking to lead his people his children astray. What are some ways in which Jesus' little ones are led astray? To follow myths or idols. There are those out there, though, in our culture that they desire to lead the little ones. They desire to lead God's people astray. They would love, they would love to lead God's people astray. So we must protect our children. We must protect the little ones. We protect the church. We care for one another so that we are not led astray. We protect our kids from predators both physically and spiritually. We are mindful of what our kids view on the TV or internet. Children can go down various paths and go down paths that they will later regret. But as a church, we don't want to see our children taken advantage of. We want to guard their ears, what they hear. 
We want to guard their eyes, what they see. We want to guard their heart and mind, what they think about themselves. So we are called to be intentional with our children. Our individual families and our church protect one another. We keep each other accountable so that those in Christ are not led astray to false hopes. But we press each other on to focus on Jesus. We lock arms together to focus on Jesus. And so this warning here in this text is those who would lead the little ones astray, this would have been taken very seriously. It would have been taken very seriously because of the context in which Jesus speaks. In this society, all would have understood this warning of drowning with a millstone if one led Jesus' little ones astray. In, in Matthew uh, 24, chapter 24, verse 41, we see an example in which the millstone was, was used in the community. This, this would have been something common. Everyone would immediately know this object. And it was extremely heavy. And so the drowning with the millstone is to provide further effect that one will not get this body out. This, this body will not be retrieved out of the sea. And so by this judgment of drowning, Jesus is calling out and addressing the Roman society, which was filled with false gods, which was filled with worship of false gods. They wanted to live at the pleasure of their own deities. But these gods of Rome constantly, constantly changed their minds. But Jesus here, the one who created all things, he's articulating that if you desire to lead these little ones, if you desire to lead my people astray, it would be better for you to have been drowned with a millstone around your neck. And since Roman society worshipped false gods, they believed certain falsehoods about the afterlife or afterlife on earth. Hellenistic culture believed that the body that was destroyed would not enter their paradise if there was no burial. And so the judgment here of the millstone would have been more severe. Romans drowned people as punishment, but would retrieve bodies, they would retrieve bodies because of their view of the afterlife. But Jesus is showing here that drowning by a millstone, your, your physical body would not be retrieved. So not only Have you caused the little ones to sin? Jesus is saying your false Hellenistic gods cannot provide for you. Their false gods led to their condemnation because they are not following in humility like these little children and following Jesus. But they're striving to lead astray the little ones to chase after false deities, false idols. And so these false gods, these false deities of worship, they will be found at the bottom of the sea with those who seek to lead Jesus' people astray and cast into the eternal fire. Jesus shows that not only would these people that strive to lead these little ones astray would ultimately die and not receive the glory from their false gods, 
but they would be met. They would be met with true justice because God is both the just and the justifier. As Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 26. So beloved, we, we are called to protect our children physically from predators. But we are also called to protect our children from spiritual predators. And we know that God has entrusted us to protect children. And as we see in verse 7, there will be judgment on the world. Woe to the world for temptations to sin or to stumble. We prepare our children to be ready to face the evils of this world. But as we do, we point them to Jesus. We believe the only way to make sense with this world is looking at it through a Christian worldview. We're to guard what our kids see, not just to isolate, but so they are not led astray. We're to guard what they hear, not to overprotect, but so they are not led astray. Think about this. The world wants you to think that you are being evil and causing harm to your kids if you are safeguarding your kids from the world. The world wants your kids. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Children do not know how to chew meat and spit out the bones. So we are to train them up to think well about what love is, what happiness is, and what work is. True happiness is not found by the amount of likes on Instagram or by revealing yourself in a particular way on social media. True love and pursuit between a husband and wife does not mean that everything is glamorous. But there is hard work. There is hard work in love. And work means that we are not entitled to everything. We have to work for what we have under the sun. We work well. We're to be content. We're to love our spouse if we marry. And we are rest in the finished work of Jesus for salvation and love the local church. In verses 8 and 9, in this passage, there's debate if the hand and the foot is to be taken as, as personified or to be taken metaphorically. Some would argue that Jesus is uh, saying metaphorically gouging out your eye or, or regarding the hand. Others would argue that the hand or foot are personified, which would mean that the hand and foot here would represent individual people within the community and show false teachers within the church. And since this was read in the, among the community of believers, and there was such a strong warning to those who would lead, lead the little ones astray, Jesus is applying it to the life of the local church. And this would even further emphasize this point by looking later on in this chapter in verses 15 to 20. 
then, then the meta, metaphorical argument here would be described as Jesus is saying, remove these things that cause stumbling. So it is what the hand, foot, and, and eyes do. So if your phone causes you to sin and lust, or your computer causes you to sin and lust, remove it. And the difference, the difference here between the Christian and the non-Christian is the fight. The Christian will care about their sin and want to remove these things that lead them to sin. The description of verse 8 with the hand or foot causes you to sin. Or in verse 9, if the eye causes you to sin is similar language to verse 6 in which it says, whoever causes one of these little ones who who believe in me to sin. So there's this similar language here used to emphasize the chaos that sin brings and that people are responsible. So whether we hold to a personified view of the hand and foot representing individuals, or we believe this is an individual hand that is doing acts of sin with a device, whether we land on either position, Each individual is responsible for their own sin. Sin is personal and destroys. So what happened in Atlanta this week was an act of cowardice. A Christian is not going to kill eight people made in the image of God to battle his addiction. A Christian is not going to resolve his addiction by taking a gun into his hands and going to shoot with the intent to kill eight image bearers. It was a wicked and selfish act. And I'm saying addiction here based on what other reports he told police, reportedly told police. And instead of this man taking responsible for his addiction, for his sins. He went to kill eight image bears. In this wicked act, he was trying to to pass blame of his own sins and addictions on others. He was not holding himself responsible. He was not holding himself responsible for his sins. And in doing so, His sin, his sin led to more tragedy. A Christian is going to speak about his or her addiction to other church members and pastors. Then there will be accountability. People walk with one another down the hard road of battling addiction. Battling sins. The true Christian is not going to pass blame for sins, but recognize what they have done. The true Christian does not walk alone in isolation, but is accountable in addictions and sins that may hold one captive. Christians are not people of convenience. We are not people of convenience, but we are people of conviction. Sin is not tolerable, 
but by Christ and the counsel of other church members, we can strive to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. So what Jesus is showing here is that sinners are responsible for their sin. If devices, websites, or Facebook are a stumbling block for you, remove them and do not delay. Do not delay. We also recognize that individual sins affect the whole community. One man's actions this week affected multiple families. So our individual sins affect the whole community of believers. So here in this, in this text, the personified view would argue that the hand or foot symbolizes a person that is continuing in sin in the community. And it would be, it would be better to, to be cut off so that they are brought back into repentance. And the metaphorical view would be, if by the hand and foot sinful acts are done by an individual, then they need to be accountable for their continued sin. So as, as Christians, we hate our sin. We hate our sin. But we also desire to keep each other accountable. We don't want to see someone fall astray. But we press on in the gospel. And so the goal in these verses here, the goal of, of church discipline is not to leave people off and away, but to point them to Jesus in their sin or lack of owning up to their sin. It would be better for the church member to be under discipline or disciplined than to be in eternal fire. It would be better for the member to be cut off for a time to be brought back into repentance. So church discipline is important because eternity is important. And this is why Matthew phrases verse 9 like it is better for you to enter into life with one eye than to have two eyes but be thrown into the hell of fire. So our passage this morning this passage that we have Looked at. This is a weighty passage. This is a weighty text for us to reflect upon. Jesus says you must turn to repent and become like children, or you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says this to the disciples who question who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So those who follow Jesus. They do so in humility. And then we have a warning to those who don't follow Jesus and then seek to lead His people astray that they will be met with judgment. And then in verses 7 and 9, we are reminded again of the seriousness of sin. And we as Christians are not to think little or light of our sin 
but we're to remove sins and stumbling blocks that take our focus off of our King. God's children are to be humble. God's children are protected by Him. He watches over His sheep as a good shepherd. And not one, not one, will be removed from His sovereign, steady hand. Beloved, we only get one life. And it will soon pass. Only what is done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you continue to work in the hearts of your people, your little ones, that they press on in faith and they are not led astray. May we be focused on Jesus and as more people day by day are coming to know the risen Christ as Savior and Lord, may they not be hindered in coming So Father, may your people be in awe of you and may you renew them with the wonder of the gospel. May we seek to glorify you in all that we do and not seek for our own gain. Father, we pray that if anyone is not resting and trusting in the finished work of Jesus this morning, that you continue to work on their heart And may they taste and see that you are good. We ask this all for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.